0: We're so thrilled you all are here. Um, and this morning, just like Megan read, we're gonna be taking a look at the parable of the unforgiving servant. Now, we are taking a break from our First Samuel series. Uh, we've been walking through that for a few months as a church. Um, but I think even though uh, this parable, this passage is in Matthew, it's far removed from First Samuel, I think it actually really fits perfectly within the context of what God's been teaching us as a church recently. So if you've been able to keep up with the sermon series we've been walking through, you know that more or less we've been tracing the stories of Saul and David and their interactions. So King Saul, he's the current King of Israel and he's desperate to hold on to his throne. And so time and time again, he goes to try to hunt down and kill David in the wilderness because David has been promised to take the throne from Saul. And David, he actually has some opportunities to do the same, to take Saul and to kill him, but he refuses. He refuses. Even though he has multiple opportunities to end all the running and the hiding and the living in the wilderness for years and years, David doesn't reach out and take Saul and end him. Instead, he waits on the Lord to protect and defend him. It's this remarkable display of trust in God's providence, in his timing, in his provision. And today, we're gonna be challenged to do something similar we're gonna be challenged to also trust God. Even when things are difficult, we're gonna be challenged to obey him, even when our hearts wanna do the exact opposite thing. So if you've been around church or Christianity for any number of days at all, you've probably heard that we're called to be a people who are marked by forgiveness. Not just the people who forgive sometimes, but a people who are marked by forgiveness, whose lives reflect forgiveness all the time. Forgiveness, both receiving it and giving it is one of the core foundational truths and ideas of Christianity. It's one of the things that differentiates us from other worldviews and religions around the world, but it's a lot easier said than done. And forgiving is actually really, really difficult, even though it sounds really, really simple. All of you, everybody in this room, myself included, you live in a broken world. If you didn't know, I'm assuming that you did. You've been hurt by people, and you've hurt people, I've been hurt by people and I've hurt people in real and true ways. And yet yet we're still called to be people who forgive freely and faithfully. So holding those two truths in tension that yes, we've really been hurt and have really hurt people. And yes, we're really called to forgive. That is for my money, at least one of the most difficult parts of faithfully following Jesus. It's holding those two truths together. Intellectually, we know, we know, we're supposed to be people who forgive all the time, but often, if you're anything like me at least, your heart is far from it. Being a people marked by forgiveness, it is a high and a serious calling. And it's one that we can't do unless we fully and truly understand how much we've been forgiven. So this morning, cards on the table, this is what I hope to accomplish. My hope is that reflecting on this passage that we're reminded both of how much we've been forgiven and that we're reminded and convicted to obey Jesus's challenge to forgive others in the same way that we've been forgiven. Sound good? You with me? Let's do it. Pray with me and we'll jump in. God, thank you that we don't have to muster up some sort of good feeling or some sort of desire to forgive, but instead all we have to do is look to the cross. Because God, you became human. You put on flesh as a baby, you lived a perfect life, you were beaten and tortured and died, and you rose again, all for me, all for us, all that we might be forgiven, that we might know God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Spirit, would you move today? Would you convict our hearts of that truth? Would you remind us the beauty of the gospel? God, I mean, out of that reminder, out of that beauty, would we be compelled to forgive others? Not begrudgingly, but joyfully, because we remember how much we've been forgiven. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Would you get all the glory and all the honor today? It's your name we pray, amen, amen. So now as mentioned before, we're gonna be looking at a parable, right? The parable of the unforgiving servant. And in order to understand what Jesus is trying to communicate here, we have to first understand what a parable is, how to read it, how to extract truth from it, how to study it. You see, parables are one of the primary tools of communication that Jesus uses to display the truth about the kingdom of God. Jesus loves parables. If you read any of the gospels, it's one of the primary methods he uses to teach. But parables, they can be tricky to understand at times. They're, they're not straightforward necessarily. They're not a list of facts. They're not a list of do's and don'ts. They don't usually have three points that start with the same letter as a lot of sermons you might hear, right? They're word pictures. They're word pictures. And, and so Jesus, he uses them to stir up the emotions of the people that he's speaking to. And Jesus could have said, hey, you guys, you need to forgive, okay? You need to forgive, so go and do it. And and he does at times, but instead he gives us the story here, this picture to communicate not just with our heads, but with our hearts as well. You see, it is vitally important that you understand the truth about God, right? It It is vitally important to know the right things, But when Jesus is teaching in parables and right here, he also wants to know, hey, do you love the right things? Not just, do you know I should forgive, but does your heart love to forgive? And that's the question for us today as we get started. Our head knowledge, it's beautiful, it's a gift, but is it producing real life change or is it just simply a list of facts and ideas that we hold up here and don't change our lives with? That's where parables come in. They capture our attention through the art of the story Jesus is telling us. And they invite us to experience the truth of God's kingdom in a new way. So Tim Mackey, you may be familiar with the name. He is a scholar. Let's see if the quote comes up, there it is. Uh, He works for the Bible Project, which is where you may be familiar with him. He says this about parables. He says, Jesus didn't tell parables to make everything clear. Rather, he wanted to provoke the imagination and invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. I think the quote is spot on. Jesus gives us this parable, this story, so we can begin to wrap our minds around what the kingdom of God is like and what we're called to do in response to it. So with that in mind, we're going to walk through the passage and see what God has for us today. But real quick caveat before we dive in. Uh, Chris, our our lead pastor, has done a great job through 1 Samuel, reminding us again and again that, hey, you're not David, right? You're not the hero of the story. I'm not the hero of the story. And it's so true. It's really true. Too often, we're prone to put ourselves in in the best character's shoes in the story. Like, yes, that's me. I would react perfectly and appropriately here. And that's not the case in this parable either, right? We don't get to put ourselves in the shoes of the kind and gracious king who forgives. You know which person we're supposed to be, and it's the servant who owes things. So I do wanna invite you to put yourself in the story though. It's easy with a parable that we're used to, and perhaps you've heard this one again and again, to just sort of read it, hear it, know the right answer and move on. I wanna challenge you, listen with new ears. What if it was you today? who was in this guy's shoes? What if this was your story? What if if you owed an incredible debt today and it was being called in? Because well, friends, you do in some sense. When it comes to God, you do owe a massive debt of sin. I do too. Nobody in here, and I love you all dearly, nobody in here is righteous and holy. No one has met that standard, not anybody. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so this story, it's not just an ancient word picture meant to be discussed. It is a picture of our lived reality. So as you read through this parable, fight to hear it as a picture of you and God, and then allow whatever you feel, allow those emotions the spirit stirs up to motivate you to love Jesus and follow him more faithfully. So look with me at the first few verses, Matthew 18, 21, 22, it says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now in the previous verses, the verses right before this passage, Jesus has just finished explaining to his disciples how to become reconciled to one another. Jesus has spent some time explaining, hey, if somebody offends you, if somebody hurts you in some way, you go to them privately. If they won't listen to you, you take a buddy that you trust to lovingly call them to repent. If they still won't listen, you bring it to the church and so on and so on. And so those verses could be their own sermon. I don't have enough time to get into all of them today, but just think for, your second, think for a second to put yourself in the same head space that Peter is as he asks this question. How often do we, do you, get offended by somebody, or feel weird about somebody's actions. And instead of just talking about it, you go and you tell somebody, I'm chief of sinners here. You say, hey, did you hear what that person said? Did you, did you see what they did to me? Can you believe that he or she made this decision? We, we gotta pray for her. She's, she's not making good choices. How often do we do that? Myself more than anyone. Friends, that's not the way of Jesus. That's not the type of people Jesus is calling us to be. We're called to be those that reconcile the way the Bible tells us to. And so it's out of that context, that conviction that Peter approaches Jesus with this question that's on the screen. In fact, the adverb used for the word then in the Greek, uh, it implies a very short time after. It's clear that from this text, uh, Peter's question arises out of that previous teaching of Jesus. So Jesus teaches his disciples about the steps of reconciliation. He says, this is how to make things right when things are broken. And then right afterwards, Peter comes up to the Lord and he says, okay, okay, I understand the steps of reconciliation, I think, but how often do I have to actually do that? How often do I have to actually go through that seven whole times? And look, Peter, he gets a bad rap. Right? It's easy to make fun of Peter and many sermons do it because he is always the one who seems to be speaking his mind and asking the question that everybody else is thinking. And often his questions reveal that he doesn't have a clue about what Jesus is actually trying to communicate. Uh, but I resonate with that sometimes. Maybe you do too. Um, but listen, between us as friends, I think this questionable question is kind of reasonable. He's just asking, hey, how, how far do I have to go to forgive somebody? But then what happens if they hurt me again and again and again and again and again? Then what? Surely I don't have to keep doing all of this. That's ridiculous. And the number seven, it's used throughout the Bible to represent fullness or completion. And so Peter, he isn't like shortchanging himself here. He's trying to give a big number. And it seems like Peter is thinking he nailed this one. Right? That Jesus is gonna say, wow. Peter, usually you miss the mark, but that one, great job. Like very benevolent of you, very kind of you. Seven times, that is plenty. After that, man, just wash your hands, move on. But instead, Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. This answer, it's meant to stagger Peter and us as well as we read it. Jesus is shattering the ceiling on how frequently we are called to forgive. In in Genesis 4, 24, Lamech is speaking, and he's one of the first really, really bad guys in the Bible. He is a bad guy. And he says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77fold. He's trying to show you and everybody else, hey, there's no end to his anger. There's there's no end to the revenge that'll come to you if you cross Lamech. In the same way, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, if man's forgiveness can stretch seven times, God's forgiveness goes 77 times. He says, Peter, you're not even in the ballpark of how far you have to go to forgive. You don't have a clue how deep and wide and long God's idea of forgiveness is. Jesus, he's not giving you a number to shoot for. He's not saying count up to 77. No, he's changing the game completely. He takes Peter's quantitative scorekeeping question and he turns forgiveness into a lifestyle instead instead of forgiveness being a list of tally marks in our head of offenses and slights of debts owed and debts paid, Jesus turns it into a permanent heart posture. Some of you guys in this room know my wife, Megan, will be married for 10 years in June, 10 whole years. It's incredible. More of you probably are familiar with my three-year-old son, Owen, because he is, at least in my opinion, both the most energetic and the loudest person in this entire congregation. So you've probably heard him, even if you didn't know it was him, which is saying something coming from me because I am also loud and energetic, but that three-year-old has me beat. But here's the thing, it would be ridiculous for me to come up to you in the lobby perhaps and say, hey, what do you think? How often should I love my wife? How much like, should I love her? Or to come up to you and say, hey, you, you've seen Owen running around. Uh, like how many hours in a day should I care about him? Like eight, like nine to five maybe. And I don't have to care about him anymore. I can clock out, clock in, clock out. What do you think? How often should I care about my son? Right, it's a ridiculous question. And it would show that I've completely missed the point of what it means to be a husband and a father. And in the same way, in the same way, Jesus is demonstrating the absurdity of the question, how often should I forgive? He's saying, hey, if you're asking that question, then then you don't really understand what we're trying to accomplish here. You've completely missed the point. We're showing that we don't have a concept of how big God's forgiveness for us is. Jesus is showing us that there's no limit to how we forgive others, that we must be a people, church, who are marked by radical, ongoing, overflowing forgiveness. And like, we're not even actually in the parable yet. That's just the opener, so I have to get going. But that's what Jesus is saying here before he even jumps into the parable. So he says all that, but he doesn't stop. So Jesus, our savior, the king of the universe who created all things and hold all things in his hands. He says this to us today. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought in to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So just pause for a second. This king calls his servants in for a budget meeting and one of them owes 10,000 talents. I did some research this week uh, and people disagree on how much 10,000 talents actually is with inflation and exchanges and all that stuff. It's a lot of money, but I did find this in my research. Uh, I found a John Piper tweet that sums it up really well. And listen, I'm used to preaching to middle schoolers and high schoolers. Shout out to you guys in the room. So I'm used to incorporating social media into my sermons, but it may be a main stage first. But here's what John Piper tweeted about this sermon or about this parable. He says, In the parable of the unforgiving servant, Matthew 18, 23 to 35, the king, God, forgave him a debt of 10,000 talents. One talent is worth 20 years' wages. That's a debt of 200,000 years' wages. As we might say, bazillions of dollars. The point? No one owes you more. Forgive. Well said, Pastor Piper. And we could end the sermon there, honestly. That's that's about what I'm trying to get at. But I do only get to preach so often, so I'm gonna keep going and use all my time. (laughs) But so this guy, this servant, owing the very specific and very scientific amount of one bazillion dollars, he goes into the king to settle his account. And joking aside, imagine that's you. You owe this incredible, unpayable debt. And today it's being called in. Do you think he slept the night before? Would you have, knowing that meetings on the books? No, your hands, they'd be shaking, right? Your stomach is sick. The Bible doesn't tell us how this guy racked up so much debt, but, but he had to make some really bad choices. Yes, some really poor investments, but either way, no matter how it got there, it's all coming due today. And look, students ministry, we might go a little over budget in some years. But but I can't imagine having to go to Chris and saying, hey, I am 200,000 years of money over budget. Sorry, camp was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bad day, friends. It is not a good meeting. And so look, that's the hole that, that this servant finds himself in, right? He has no hope of ever getting out. Right, it is hopeless. So what does the king do? The parable continues in verse 25, saying, and and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. A devastating punishment falls on this guy. In one sentence, he loses everything he's ever had and everyone he's ever loved, just like that. All because of his choices and his failures. Like imagine the weight of hearing those words. Imagine having to look over at your family in that moment, knowing that your mistakes, your failures have ruined your life and their lives forever with no hope, with no hope. And so he does what I imagine any one of us would do. in verse 26 and 27, he says, so, says, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. Have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. The servant promises to pay back this unpayable debt. No amount of work will ever get him out of this hole that he's dug and he knows it and the king knows it, but he's just, he's just trying to throw anything out there, anything out there and hoping something will stick. But then verse 27 comes and it's one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. It says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, forgave the debt. Out of pity, out of sheer compassion and care, the king waves his hands and the dead is gone. Imagine that moment, feel that moment. Tears of joy streaming down your face. Your family saved, your kids saved, your mistakes gone, forgiven, it's over. Oh, what a moment, what a moment. He's gotta be thinking, what, did you really say all of it? Did you really say it's all gone? Oh, surely, surely the happiest day of his life. Yes, one of the best moments of his life. But verses 28 to 30 bring us back to reality. I say this, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This debt is small in comparison. It's minuscule. But when given the chance to display the same kind of forgiveness that he had received mere moments ago, our servant reaches for his debtor's throat instead. With anger in his eyes, he demands pay it all or go to jail. Get out of my sight. Church, remember, this is us. this character, it's you, it's me. How often have we prayed prayers to ask God to forgive us in this very room on a Sunday morning, and then headed out to our car with a grudge, or some anger or some unkind thoughts with somebody around us? I have. Have you? Forgive us, Lord? The passage continues. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers so he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Heed the warning, friends, heed the warning. I had to sit with this this week. Heed the warning, feel the weight of what King Jesus is saying today. And look, we affirm emphatically That salvation comes from Jesus alone, right? Through the gospel alone. It's not our works that save us. It's not what we do that saves us. It's not the act of forgiving others that saves us. It's Jesus's life, death, and resurrection full stop. Don't miss that today. But also don't miss what Jesus is saying here. He's making it crystal clear. Jesus is letting us know that if we have truly experienced the gospel, if we've truly experienced his forgiveness for all of our sins, then we necessarily will be people who forgive. Then we absolutely will be people who are marked by forgiveness. It's a non-negotiable. It's not a, well, yeah, 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 but they've really offended me, Sam. yeah, yeah, but they were so rude, Sam. I know, I know, believe me, I know. But this is foundational to what it understands, what it means to understand the gospel. And actually for this next, my small group, we talked about it this week, shout out to you guys. Help me clarify my thinking on this, but forgiveness, it doesn't mean putting yourself back into harmful or dangerous situations. It doesn't mean not having healthy boundaries. Friends, that's wisdom. God is not calling you to put yourself into unsafe or unhealthy situations in the name of forgiving somebody who's hurt you. Please hear that. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. We need wisdom and guidance from the spirit in all things, and especially to navigate forgiveness and reconciliation well. The call to forgive is not a call to naivety. It's not a call to forget necessarily. It doesn't mean that we'll naturally be best friends with everyone. And as much as it is hard to say, it doesn't mean you'll be reconciled with everyone. Some people don't want to be reconciled. Forgiveness is a complex journey in a complex world. But this parable is a call and a command to do the inner work of forgiveness, to take our hurts and our pains to God and say, God, I've been offended. It is real and it is true and it hurts, Lord. But I submit it to you. I submit to you, I trust you as my king, you as my judge, and because of that, I'll release the debt from this other person. Just like David trusted God to protect and provide when Saul was hunting him down, we too must trust the Lord when we've been hurt and trust that his plan is good, that he's the God who brings justice. What Jesus is saying here is if our hearts really understood the immense weight of the debt that Jesus has paid, then everything else, pales in comparison. If the enormity of my sin, and it's a lot, if it can be represented by the length of this stage from one end to the the other, then, then your offense to me, no matter how big, no matter how rude, no matter how hurtful, it's only ever right here. It's only ever right here, no matter what you've done to me in comparison to what Jesus has forgiven. And listen, if your offense is right here, then this stage isn't even close to demonstrating how much sin God has forgiven me and he's forgiven you. So what do we do? What do we do with that? James 1, 22, 24 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forget what kind of man he was. We cannot hear these words of Jesus, this clear command to forgive others as we've been forgiven and not put them into action. We must be a people. We must be a people who take Sunday morning words and turn them into Monday morning deeds. That's what it means to faithfully follow the Lord. So what does it look like? Well, at first, it looks like taking stock of your own life, taking stock of where you are right now, have you truly understood? Have you truly allowed the weight of Jesus' death on the cross to impact your soul? I pray that you have, but ask yourself the question right now. A lot of us have prayed a prayer. A lot of us have prayed a prayer and I, and I love it. You should, but, but, but do you know Jesus as the good, kind, inconceivably merciful King that's pictured here, who forgave your eternal debt? Is that how you see Jesus? If you don't, your sins are are still a debt that you owe to God. And there is no way for you to ever do enough good things or work hard enough to pay off that debt. It's just not possible. But, but King Jesus looks at you today. He looks at you today and he offers you forgiveness of everything you've ever done forgiveness of all of your mistakes, all of your sin, all of your thoughts, forgiveness for all of it through his life, his death, his resurrection right now. He's looking at you no matter where you are with compassion in his eyes. He isn't some angry king who's thinking, oh man, I can't believe he did that again. I can't believe she did that again. Why can't they get it together? Why do they keep racking up so much debt? That's not God's posture towards you at all. No, God looks at you The same way this king looks at his servant, he sees your debt, make no mistake about it. It's not that he doesn't take your sin seriously, he does. His own son had to come and die for it. Nothing could be more serious. Nothing could be a higher cost. He sees your sin more than you do. Oh, but he still looks at you with this offer of grace and forgiveness. If you'd only say yes, if you'd only accept Jesus and let him be the king of your life, accept his reign and submit to him and and receive his gift of forgiveness, what a miraculous truth the gospel is. We have a king who doesn't just ignore the debt. No, he sees it, he sees it, but he left his throne. He left perfect glory and perfect joy to come here so that he could pay your debt in full. Do you see why we can't get over the gospel? Do you see why we're so hung up on how good Jesus is? Because he left his cosmic throne to become a baby to live this perfect humble kind beautiful life and then was tortured beaten and killed for it but he rose again and he defeated death and sin all so you could have your debt paid and be put into right relationship with god it's unbelievable friends it's unbelievable that's the jesus we sing to that's the jesus we worship that's the jesus we follow So whether that's the Jesus you've known for years, praise the Lord, or you've never met this Jesus, today is your day to run to him. Thank him for what he's done for you. Remind your soul of what a cost he's paid for you and then allow it to motivate you to forgive others. In light of the cost of the cross, in light of how much Jesus has paid for you, how could any of us say, yeah, 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 but I can't forgive her. I can't forgive him. In light of having your eternal debt paid, your eternal debt to the all powerful, all good, all knowing King of the universe, paid off, what's a slight offense between you and me, friends? What's a big offense between you and me, friends? We're just two sinful, broken servants of the King. Of course, we'll butt heads sometimes. Oh, but look at the cross. Look at how beautiful the cross is. What is it? Look, I understand some of you have been really hurt. I'm walking through stuff too. It doesn't minimize it. It doesn't minimize how much we've been hurt, but it does maximize how beautiful Jesus looks. So my question for you is who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? I know some of you have walked through incredibly hard things, things that aren't fair, that aren't right, that aren't good. I know you've been incredibly hurt by deeply wicked actions. I know, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, it's not supposed to be that way. But Hebrew tells us, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be wounded. He knows what it's like to be hurt by people that are supposed to love you. I'm so sorry you've had to walk through those things, but I am, I am trying to redirect our gaze towards the beauty and splendor of the gospel and the hope that we can find there so that we can live lives reflecting God's goodness and mercy to those around us. I don't know who comes to mind for you when I ask you who do you need to forgive? But think of that person. We all have them. Who is that person that you need to forgive? Maybe you've had people who've offended you slightly, right? They stole your parking lot in the or the, your parking spot in the parking lot out there this morning. Maybe you have people who've offended you greatly in massive painful ways, but we all have people we need to forgive this is as much for me as it is for you. But today is that day. Today is that day, friends. We're not gonna just be hearers of the word and then go and forget. We're called to be doers of the word. So think about that person. Maybe write their name down. Think about the debt that they rightfully owe you. And then remember the cross. Remember the debt that you rightfully owed God. Now, whose debt, if you really know Jesus, if you really think about Jesus, whose debt are you still willing to hold on to? If you're here and you've been forgiven, you are called and commanded to forgive that person. I know that they're rude. I know that they're wrong. I know that they probably haven't asked you for forgiveness and they might not even want it. No, I don't mean that you have to be best friends with them or put yourself in bad situations again, but yes, your savior paid it all on the cross so that you are free from your debt and free from your grudges. To know Jesus is to know forgiveness and to know the freedom to forgive others. Church, today, today, this week, forgive that person. Have that tough conversation that you don't wanna have. I have to have some. Call that person, forgive them If you need help, come talk to me. I'm trying to figure it out. Talk to a staff member. That's what we're here to do. We exist to help you fight to follow Jesus. We'll pray for you. We'll stand with you. We'll cry with you, whatever you need. We're all the way in, but take the risk. Take the risk of allowing Christ's incredible work on the cross to bleed into how you treat other people. This is what it means to follow King Jesus. This is what it means to be a citizen of the upside down kingdom of heaven. We don't forgive out of fear. We don't forgive to check the box and say, we've done it. We forgive because we behold the beauty of the cross and we can't help but be changed. That's why we sing. It's why we repent. It's why we sacrifice. And yes, it's why we forgive because we are a people who have been forgiven so much more than we could ever fathom. Jesus stepped out of heaven to reconcile you to God this week. Even today, take a step towards forgiving those in your life whose debt you're still holding on to. Pray with me and we'll sing to our King. Jesus, you are so good. You are so good. We can't get over how amazing you are. We've heard your gospel again and again and it never gets less beautiful. Thank you that you stepped out of heaven to this broken world. Thank you that you came because you love us. Thank you that you understand what it means to be betrayed, that you understand what it means to be hurt, that you weep with us in our real pain. But God, thank you that we don't have to live a life defined by our grudges, but that you have freed us both from our sin and from the tyranny of ourselves. Jesus, you are our king. We can't obey without the spirit empowering us. Jesus, would you empower us to faithfully follow you because you are where joy and life is found. We love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.